That is an incredible story, and I want to thank CBN for allowing us to use that today. They did a fabulous job on that, and that story has gone around the world. Right here from Virginia News. And Rick is in this service. Stand up, Rick. Let people see you. Come on, Rick. For you guys joining us online, God does miracles, man. God is a miracle-working God. And miracles are not the main course. They're the dessert. I'll say that one more time. Miracles are not the main course. We don't live from miracle to miracle. Miracle. We live by the Word of God, the preceding Word of God, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have some very special guests here today, our first-time guests. If you'll give them a hand. Come on, let's, let's give them a great welcome. If you're joining us online, thank you. You're online today. If you'll just like, share, comment, let us know you're in there with us in the chat room. If you're a first-time guest, if you'll just take out that communication card, fill it out. It's right in front of you in the seat back pocket. And if you'll take that to our guest services, uh, table out front to your left as you go out. We'll give you a free t-shirt, uh, a book, and we'll also send you a Chick-fil-A gift card in the mail. In the mail. If you weren't here last week, I want to say Happy New Year. It is good to see you. It's good to see people again. How I many you know sometimes the holidays can be hectic? It's good to start fresh and anew. Last week we began a brand new series called what was it called, people? Engage. Engage. And we're going to continue that series today with a message called Practical Principles of Prayer. And I want you to take out your Bibles and I want you to turn to Luke 18. We're also going to look at Matthew chapter number 6. Thank you, Chris, so much. Give Chris a hand. He does a tremendous job. Come on, you can do that right now. You say you're a very talented guy. I wish I could play like that, but I just can't. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Luke 18, 1 says, One day Jesus taught the apostles. An apostle is a, a, a sent one. It's a missionary. A, a church planner can be considered an apostle. That apostolic gift is still alive in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 says, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So those fivefold ministry gifts are still alive in the body of Christ to equip people. That word equip actually means to mend or to heal, heal or to restore like broken bones being put back together. So that's why pastors exist. To see people healed, to see people delivered so they can function in the gift that God's called them to function in. So one day Jesus told the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. Go down to Matthew, over to Matthew chapter 6. Go back a couple books and we'll look at verses 5 through 8. It says, whenever you pray, look, Jesus said whenever. He didn't say if you pray. Uh, Jesus did not assume that Christians would probably pray. 
He, he actually said, when you pray, he, 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 did, he, he assumed that you would pray and not pray. He, he, he thought Christians, that was the responsibility of every believer. He said, whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders. Pretenders, that would be a good name for a movie. Pretenders. What if we named our church Pretenders Church? That wouldn't go, that wouldn't fly with it. That word there in many translations is the word hypocrite. Hypocrite. Who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they already receive a reward. But whenever you pray, go into the inmost chamber and be alone with your father God. Praying to him in secret. And your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases. Praying like the Gentiles do. For they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There's no need to imitate them since your father already knows what you need before you ask. We often say this phrase in the American culture and in the American church culture. We say this, prayer changes things. The reality is, folks, you have to go deeper than that phrase. Because prayer does not change things. God changes things through the means of prayer. Why do I say that? Because prayer has to be a priority and prioritized in our lives and has to be understood from a biblical standpoint for it to have impact in our lives. So it is God that changes things through our prayer. We pray, God moves, things change. I'm going to say that one more time. We pray, God moves his mighty hand, things change. Just because I pray doesn't mean things will change. My prayers have to be in alignment with God's will. And also they have to be in alignment with the practical precepts of prayer that Jesus lays out in Matthew chapter 6. Now in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus assumed that believers, that Christ followers would give to needy people, that they would pray, and that they would have times of fasting and seeking God. And in this, in this prayer, he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, but in reality, it is a model prayer that Jesus gave to us. It's not a prayer that Jesus sat around praying at all times. He gave us a model prayer to pray. And over the next three weeks and in this series and Engage, we're going to look at this model prayer and see some practical principles that we can use and apply to our lives in order for prayer to be powerful and effective in our lives. It's possible to look at people pray, to read about prayer, to hear preaching and teaching about prayer and not understand prayer or apply prayer to our lives. I like tools. Now, I don't like using tools often, but, but I like tools. And sometimes I go in my garage and I'll pick up a tool and I'll, I'll just look at it. And I'm amazed at how beautiful it is. 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't particularly like picking up the shovel, but it, it, it's a beautiful shovel. I don't like using the chainsaw, but it's a, a beautiful steel chainsaw. I don't like using the hedge trimmers that are gas powered and made by steel, but I love looking at those tools. You know, God has a toolbox and in his toolbox, there's the tool of prayer. And if we don't use the tool of prayer, it does us no good. If we just look at the tool, it does us no good. I have a Makita right here. That is not a banana. It is a tool. And I know Chiquita is a banana. But I have a Makita and it is a tool. It is a power drill. And I love my drill. It's pretty clean, isn't it? Doesn't look like it's been used much. It's Let's put a few, like, I guess, mirrors up and it's put some, some uh, drapery up and it's put some other stuff like beds together and but it's a pretty drill but guess what this drill has no power unless i use it it can sit in my garage for years and it can be clean it can be pristine the battery might go dead but i got a charge and i got another battery but unless i use the drill it does no good it's just like prayer as long as prayer stays in the toolbox it does you no good it has no power to transform your life. It has no power to transform the people around you. You have to take the tool out and use it. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said, keep praying, never stop or lose hope. Keep on praying. Keep on praying and understand who you're praying to. So as we begin to look at this, we begin to understand in Luke 18, Jesus was talking about persistent and constant and enduring prayers that would come from his saints. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable. A parable is a short story. It's a natural story that illustrates a spiritual point. And Jesus tells a story about a persistent widow, a lady who had lost her husband. And there was this judge. This judge was not a God-fearing man. He did not even like people, the Bible says. He did not like men. He didn't even fear God. But this widow had been attacked by her adversary. She was taunted by her adversary and she wanted justice. And she went to this judge to get justice and he denied her. But she didn't give up the first time. The Bible tells us that she kept coming to him over and over and over and over again. She would not give up on asking this judge to give her justice over the one that was taunting her, over her adversary, to the point he got so fed up with this widow that he finally gave her justice because she was so persistent. How many know your prayer has to be persistent? Oftentimes we pray one time and we give up. But Jesus said, likewise, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Jesus is saying, if we get like the widow who wouldn't give up on uh, getting justice from that unjust judge... We will have what we want from God. He's saying being persistent on coming to God. How many of you know we have a good God? And he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
Now in our nation today, there's an uproar, there's an upheaval. If you study cultures and civilizations and empires and, and nations that have led the world throughout human history, you understand empires come and empires fall. And America is a world power. It's been the lone world power probably since 1991 after the Cold War. And it stands alone in, in keeping peace in the earth. And I know there's a lot of bad things about America, but God bless America. I know America's not perfect, but I, I don't want to go anywhere else. America has its issues and its problems. It has been a world power. But the problem with a world power is this right here. A world power will never be murdered. In human history, you never see a world power that's been murdered from the outside. World powers create or, or commit suicide. World powers throughout human history have died from the inside. From moral decay and rot. From lies where people, their morality gets so bad that you can't tell if they're telling the truth or telling a lie. And so as we look at the moral decay of our nation, and it is on a decline morally. And even as I read the headlines in the news, and I'm just like baffled, what in the world is going on? Have you ever heard of a sixth grader shooting a teacher? Six-year-old, six-year-old, thank you. A six-year-old. I can't even comprehend that. I can't. I read this morning where a 12-year-old killed her nine-year-old brother, stabbed him to death, and walked to the parents' room and told them, something's wrong. But yet we go through life like it's okay. So what's going to shift our nation? Book of Chronicles tells us and it gives us an outline. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. How many know? God was not talking about the world out here. He said, if my people, my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, the assembly of the call, if they would humble themselves and quit trying to be the God of their own lives, if they would come and humble themselves, then I would hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Let me tell you something. Their land there is not talking about the whole entirety of a nation. He's talking about your personal land. He'll heal your family. He'll heal your emotions. He'll heal your mind. He'll heal your body if you humble yourself. Why are you using that verse for prayer, Pastor? I'm using that verse because of this reason. Prayer shows God that we're humbling ourselves. As long as I don't pray, I'm saying to God, I'm the master of my own life. I can choose my own destiny. How many of you know, you don't get to determine your destiny in life. You get to discover it. 
Your destiny in God has already been determined. It's been predetermined before the foundation of the world. So it's not about me determining my destiny. It's about me discovering my destiny in God. And through prayer, I begin to learn more about God and I discover what God has for me. Monday night, the sports world looked in horror as DeMar Hamlin just fell, collapsed on the field. I knew it was bad when he did it because I'd never seen anything like that. As soon as he collapsed, I saw it in real time. I lifted up my hand and I prayed for him. I said, God, breathe life back into this young man. And I called my son into the room. I said, this guy just went into cardiac arrest before they ever told us. You could tell it. He just went out. And the whole sports world, media world, was in a buzz and saying, pray for tomorrow. Pray for tomorrow. One ESPN analyst, he actually prayed. He stopped and they prayed. And that is a powerful example. But here's the thing, folks. Not all people who pray are praying to the God of the Bible. I don't want to take the air out of your balloon. But I'm just telling you. Not all people that pray are praying to the God of the Bible because when we pray, we don't pray but in one name, and that is in Jesus' name. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who wants to come to the Father has to go through me. So it is important that we understand the God that we pray to. Prayer is not to get you more money. You don't use prayer to get healing. You don't use prayer to do this or to do that or to go in business. Those things are good. Prayer at its foundation, the very core and object of prayer is a better knowledge of who God is. So when I pray, it's not about giving God a checklist and giving Him what I want Him to do. It's about me saying, Lord, I want to be with you more than I want from you. Amen. God doesn't want to be used. We use God like a genie in a bottle. Come out here, buddy. I need you. I need a car payment. My kids are acting crazy. Come out wherever you are. No, prayer is designed so that I can know the heart and mind of God. So when I pray, I'm in communion with God. So prayer is powerful. I'm going to give you three practical principles of prayer. Number one, pray to be heard by God. Pray to be heard by God. What does that mean, pray to be heard by God? Well, let's look at verse 5. It says, whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders. How many of the church has enough of the pretenders? We need to be real, amen? Amen. Who love the attention they receive while praying before others at meetings and on the street corners. Believe me, they have already received their Reward. Look, Jesus uses this, this word called reward. How many of you know the kingdom of God is built on a reward system? Not everybody, when they get to heaven, is going to get the same reward. I know we live in a culture where everybody gets a, a trophy. But that's not the kingdom culture. I can tell you, the Bible talks significantly, and I might preach about this one day, about rewards. God is a rewarder, according to Hebrews eleven six, of those who diligently, say diligent, diligently seek Him. Not 
for those who can't get out of bed. Not for those who are tired and lazy. God is a rewarder of those who passionately pursue Him. Who are consistently pursuing Him. God is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Look here, he says, don't be like the pretenders, like the religious crowd, like the Gentiles who pray. While they're praying, they know they're being seen by others and they become real pious and righteous. They, they want other people to see how righteous they are and how many visions they've had and how close they are to God. He says those people, those type of people who have external religion and they want people to see it, they've already received their reward here on the earth. It is wood, hay, and stubble. It is going to be burned up at the day of judgment. And all of us one day will stand before a holy God. I know in our culture we, talk, we love talking about the love of God. But how many of you know the Bible says way more about the holiness of God than it does the love of God? I just popped your balloon again. Why? Because we're mesmerized by love. But God is love because he's holy. God's love is pure because he's holy. Our love is not pure. It manipulates. Why? Because we're not holy. But we're called to be holy as God is holy. Did you know you can't worship God until you see him as holy? Maybe that's why our worship is so... I might come in here and worship, but it all depends on who's singing. I mean, we don't come to worship a worship team. We come to worship a holy God. A holy and majestic God. Who's worthy of our praise. So if I don't see Him as holy, my worship is little. Holy means there's none other like Him. He is so far beyond us but yet was willing to reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus. He said, don't be like the pretenders who have outward holiness, but their hearts are filthy. That word pretenders is the word hypocrite in many translations. That word hypocrite in the English comes from a Greek word. That Greek word actually means an actor. It's a noun. An actor or a stage player. It is a compound noun that actually means this in the Greek. An interpreter appear from underneath. Now I know that sounds weird. But an interpreter from underneath. But if you understand Greek theater, you understand the Greeks use big, big, look here, mask to act from behind. They would interpret the story from behind the mask. Jesus is saying, don't be a person that interprets things from behind the mask. Now, in our modern culture, it would refer to this. It's a figurative mask. Pretending to be someone or something when you're not. 
He's saying, don't be that type of person that's just a stage player. You're an actor. You're interpreting the story from behind the mask. Take off the mask and really seek the face of God. That. He said, don't pray so people see you. Pray so God will see you. Number two, pray in a place of prayer. Now, Jesus often talked about a place of prayer. Verse 6 says, But whenever you pray, go into the inmost chamber and be alone with the Father God. Pray to Him where? In secret. And your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. Ain't that great? He'll reward you openly. He says, Pray in secret. He calls it an inmost chamber in the Passion Translation. In the Greek, it just says room. That room is a, a, a word picture. It's used as a storehouse where they store treasures. Now, I want you to get this word picture. He says, go into the room, a storehouse where they store treasures. Jesus is using a word picture. He says, when you go to the place, the secret place of prayer, your prayer closet, your room, every day, at the same time, there are treasures in that room waiting for you. How many of you know, in the prayer chamber, there's the treasure of peace. There's the treasure of hope. There's the treasure of deliverance. There's the treasure of restoration. There's the treasure of prosperity. There's the treasure of wisdom that God wants to release to you in that time of prayer. There's the, there's the, the treasure of strategic leadership. God will give you plans and purposes that he has for you. He opens up his treasure box when you get in the room of prayer. That secret place, that quiet place where, no, where nobody sees it. And when you do that in secret, God will reward you publicly. If you only pray in public and not in private, it's fake. You're, you're, you're interpreting the story of God for your life from behind the mask. But if you use the tool of prayer, not as a, a wish list that you bring to God, but you use that tool as an opportunity to grow in Christ and get to know God. God releases his treasures to you. I'm telling you, I, just, I, I double dog dare you this week just to find a place. I know some of you have small kids, but you got to find a place. It might be in the bathroom. It might be in the shower. But you find a place. And spend five minutes every day this week in that place. Maybe even ten. Every day. The same time. In that place. Let me tell you something. God will meet you in that place. God will begin. Before you even. After about day three. When you step into that place. You'll sense God. Why? Because you're practicing the presence of God. It is a holy time. It is a holy moment. It is a holy place between you and God. And when you get there. You don't have to beg God to show up. He's just already there. Waiting on you. Adam and Eve had a holy place with God. In the garden where God came down. Every day of the, in the cool of the eve. And the only thing that separated God from Adam was when Adam rebelled against God and Eve sinned against God and he came down in the cool of the day and he had to search for Adam. 
He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? You've lost your place of intimacy with me, Adam. You see, Jesus didn't come to give you a cross that you wear around your neck. He came to give you a cross and give you a relationship with God so that you could be intimate with God. He came to reconnect you with your creator. And the only way to maximize your humanity is to know the God who created you. Romans chapter 1 says this, they did not know how to be human because they did not know God. The further America gets away from God, the less human we become. That's why you can hear about the heinous crimes that are going on in our society. Why? Because we've lost our humanity because we lost God somewhere. We're, we're running from God. We're not going to the prayer closet. And I can tell you right now, church as usual won't do in this hour. I, I, I believe God wants to resurrect His body. And, and Rick was just a picture of the church. God resurrected Him as an individual. But I believe in this day, if you're online, God wants to resurrect the church to be His body in the earth. Why? Because God is looking for a body that he can move through, that he can heal through, that he can deliver through, that he can love through, and you're part of the body of Christ. It's not just a place you check off and say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to show God my checkoff list. I did it, Lord. You should be proud of that. No, that's not what this is about. The whole object of prayer, the whole object of church, the whole object of fasting, the whole object of reading the Bible, the whole object of every spiritual discipline given to us in God's word is to know him. It's to know him. Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. In the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. We don't like that word, do we? We don't like to suffer. We don't like pain as believers. Come on, if it costs anything, we, we turn away from it. How I mean, you know, Jesus suffered and you've got to enter into that suffering with him. I'm preaching something here. Because we live in America and we've Americanized the Bible. We've Americanized the gospel. And we've Americanized Jesus. And we've made Jesus some, some limp-wristed person that sits on the throne. Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. If Jesus suffered on a cross, do you think you're going to get out of this world without suffering? There's going to be some pain, but through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust Jesus. Come on, if I just experience the mountaintop, I'll only know the God of the mountaintop. But when I fall down in the valley, I fall in love with the God of the valley. I found Him to be a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of consistency in the valley of my life. Yeah, I've got to find this place of prayer. See, Jesus prayed. He prayed. Jesus constantly prayed. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed at the tomb of Lazarus. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. He prayed on the mountain. Jesus prayed in public, not to be seen by men, but by his heavenly father. He prayed corporately among many people and he prayed in small groups. He often took his three closest disciples with him off to a place of prayer. Jesus prayed. And if Jesus prayed, I know you and I are not above Jesus. 
But Jesus didn't pray because he wanted to get his way. He prayed because he wanted God's way. Oh, that's good right there. Jesus did not pray to get his way. He prayed to get God's way, God's will, God's purpose, God's wisdom, God's love in the circumstance and the situation. He said, nevertheless, not my will, God, but your will be done. Your will, Lord, whatever it takes. If you, if I got to go to the cross, Lord, I'm willing to go for these people. See, oftentimes we throw a temper tantrum in our, in our prayer closet wanting to get our way when we just need to surrender. Say, Lord, I understand it all, but I surrender. I don't, have to, I don't have to try to reason it out. I don't have to try to think it out. I don't have to become intellectual about it. Lord, I just surrender to you, Lord. Your way is good. Your way is perfect. The footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Did you know prayer is not a monologue? It's not where I go in and just tell God all my problems. I know that's the way TV presents it. But prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's communion with God. Where I get to know the heart of God and the mind of God. We should develop a, a place of prayer daily. Time of prayer. Then we become people of Third one. Number three. Practical step. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. Get away from generalizations in prayer. If you're single out there, single lady, you need a husband, don't pray, Lord, bring me a man. How are you going to know when he brought you the right one? Because you might fall for any man. He might not have a job. He might not have a house. He might not even have a life. Well, there he is. That's what God sent me. No, 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 no. That's what your flesh sent you. God didn't see you that man. No, you, you, if, you're going, if you're a lady in here, you're going to pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, right now that he's got a great job. At least six digits. I'm just kidding. At least have a good job. Well, I pray that he's already got a house. How many of you know? Before God brought Adam Eve, God gave Adam a house and a job. My, my, my. Adam didn't move in with his parents. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. I said some of you pray. <laughs> but when you pray like this, pray, yeah, I want him, Lord, I want him at least six two-ish. Dark hair. Blue eyes. Chiseled. <laughs> Pretty smile. Who love you, Lord, with all his heart. Nice car, amen. Ain't that right, sister? Yeah. <laughs> amen to me over there. Why? You get specific. When you pray for a house, don't pray for just any house. You might get a broken down house. And you'll take 
Why? But when you get specific, when the answer comes, you realize this is what God brought. This is the answer. And when, guess what? When the faith comes and when the thing that you know you didn't pray for, you recognize that that ain't what I prayed for and I ain't going to receive that. That's just what the enemy's trying to bring my way. So I'm going to reject that and I'm going to deny my flesh and I'm going to wait for the perfect will of God. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve what the will of God is. Look here. He is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Prayer lines you up with the pleasing, perfect will of God for your life, but pray specifically. Don't pray general prayers. Look what he said in verse 7 and 8. We're going to wrap this up. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases. Praying like the Gentiles do. For they expect God to hear them because of their many works. There's no need to imitate them. Since your Father already knows what you need before you ask. Now Jesus is not saying don't pray because God already knows. He's saying pray. So you can get the mind of God. Did you know the Holy Spirit tells you the mind of God according to Corinthians? I think it's 1 Corinthians. That the Holy Spirit goes into the mind of God and reveals to you what God's will is for your life. So if I'm in this moment of communion with God in prayer, and I'm not seeking God for what He can give me, but I'm seeking God for who He is to me in relationship, guess what happens? I become more in tuned with the will of God, and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things before it ever happens. Two weeks before I met my wife, I was praying. I used to pray an hour and a half, two hours a night, every night. When I was a teenager, up through my twenties, while I was praying, God spoke to me. He said, "I'm bringing you your wife. You've been praying for. Her. I'm bringing her to you." He didn't tell me I had to go to the Lucky Slipper to get her. <laughs> he didn't say I had to go to the singles group at the biggest church in the county. No, he said, "I'm going to bring her to you." Guess what? Two weeks later, she showed up on my door porch. Guess what? I recognize it. Why? Because I wasn't praying general prayers. Every time my mom tried to sit, every time my mom tried to set me up with other girls, as soon as I would take a look, I said, "No, mom, the devil is a lie. That ain't right. That ain't bearing witness for me. I don't feel it. And it, it just ain't right down deep, mom. No, sir. No, sir. No, too homely, mom. No." She's a good girl. Well, oh, she's a good girl. God bless her. <laughs> I need something with some spikes Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you get specific. My daughter is now 15 when she's like five, six, seven years old. Every night, she said, she would sit in her chair and she was the boss of the house because she was the baby. She would say, Dad, I want an apple. No skin. Cut up. She got specific. She didn't just say, give me an apple. No, she, she, was, she was 
keen enough to understand that I was dad. I was her father. She said, Dad, I, I want an apple, no skin. I want you to cut it up. Guess what dad did? He got off his throne, his lazy boy. <laughs> Went to the kitchen, got an apple, peeled it, <laughs> cut it up, put it, put it in a nice bowl. And guess what? She was just waiting. She didn't have to move. She didn't have to beg. She didn't even have to look. She kept her eyes on the movie she was watching. <laughs> Why? In her heart, she knew that her dad was going to give her exactly what she desired. Guess what? Just in a few minutes, I'd walk around. She'd still be sitting there. She didn't even have to reach out. I just put it in her lap as I hear back. <laughs> Some of y'all are struggling with things that you don't have to struggle with if you would just take it to the Lord in The things that you're running, the things that you're running after, God would bring to you if you would find the place of prayer. You're trying to fix your spouse, you're trying to fix your kid, you're trying to make them act certain ways. And you've got your hands on it. But I'm here to tell you, as long as you have your hands on it, God can't put His hands on it. And when I pray, look here, when I pray, I'm actually taking my hands off it. But here's the temptation in prayer. While I'm praying, I'm like, God's not working fast enough. I've got to. And when I put my hands back on it, it delays it. It actually creates more friction and chaos in my family. If I would just say, God, I can't deal with that husband. I can't deal with that wife. But I know one who can. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to pray to the God of heaven and earth. I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I'm not going to stop praying. Until you put your hands on it. And when you put your hands on it, I'm not going to put my hands back on it. Sometimes we want to take God's hands off it and put our hands back on it. Why? Because we have a control for all. See, we want to make them in our image. We want to make our spouse in our image. We want to make our kids in our image. No, they're created in God's image. God created them and God can fix them. God can correct them. God can heal them. God can restore them. If I'll just take my hands off of it. This is the year of 2023 that I need to take my hands off some stuff and, and allow God to do it and learn to pray, church. Come on, you learn everything. You learn how to do your job. You learn your ABCs. You learn songs. Come on, some of y'all are older and you've learned to navigate the internet. You learned how to use a smartphone. You transitioned from a dumb phone to a smartphone. But now you need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to wait on God. You need to learn how to trust God. I know it's hard and your flesh wants to just quit and you wiggle and, and your phone starts ringing in the quiet place. Your kids start acting crazy. Everything goes on. Those are just distractions. Amen. One thing the last three years taught us is this right here. We're not in control of anything. 
as much as we want to be. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Is that? Look here, Benny. He puts this word and there. And pray. Prayer is the place of humility. But it's the place of power. Why? Because James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, God gives grace to the heart. Grace is the empowerment of God to do in you what you couldn't do in yourself. Grace is the power of God to begin to transform your family, transform your spouse, transform your community. One thing I learned, and I'm still learning, I can't change my wife, and she can't change me. We have to keep putting each other in God's hands. If I could change her, and she could change me, we would be looking like each other. Acting like each other. That gets a little weird. God is a creative God. He loves creativity. He loves difference. Listen to me. Pray. Matthew 7. Go ahead and stand. Matthew 7. Jesus talks about this persistence in prayer. He says, ask and keep Asking. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. In the original Greek, it, it, it reads like this. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Meaning, don't give up on prayer. Because prayer is changing you first. Before it changes your circumstances. Pastor, man, I've been up here for prayer 10 times. I still can't get delivered from this drug. I can't get delivered from alcohol. I can't get delivered from pornography. I can tell you what deliver you. You get in your place of prayer and you keep praying. You keep on seeking, knocking, and asking. And God will send grace your way. Why? Because he gives grace to the humble. And you'll watch your heart start softening. You'll watch the presence of God come in there. And the drug that you thought you needed, you'll find out that was just a cheap substitute for the real thing, for the presence of God. And you'll be so captivated by the one you're seeking that the things you thought you needed, you will need no more. Why? Because the glory of His presence has transformed your life. He transfigures you in prayer. reason 2023 will be no different than 2022 is this right here. We make a choice not to pray just like we made that choice in 2020. But if you'll pray this year, if you'll pray, you might miss a day, you might miss two, get back up on the horse, get, 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 get back in there, ride that thing. I'm telling you, this thing, this thing is not rocket science. This thing is so simple. The gospel is simple. Just pray. Learn to pray. Learn to meditate. Learn to get into God's Word. Say, well, I don't know what to pray. Pray God's Word over your life. Find some promises. Just say, Lord, I thank you that my mind's transformed by the renewing 
that happens as I read your word. Begin to just give some of Paul's prayers and pray those prayers over your life. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and all the small books are basically Paul, with a few exceptions. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. There are a lot of prayers in there that he prayed for other people that you can pray for yourself. You pray the word of God over your life and watch God transform your life. God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. John Wesley. That is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Let's bow our head in prayer today. Lord, I just thank you. Can you just raise your hands if you feel comfortable just do the sign of surrender? This is a new year. Just say, this is my, this is my year. Lord, I just thank you for the anointing of God on each person today. God, this will be a year of prayer and engagement for this church. God, we have been so mindful on engaging others and engaging culture and engaging business and politics that we haven't engaged you because out of you, everything else flows. So Holy Spirit, remind us daily that we need time with the Father. Remind us daily that we need Him more than anything. Lord, we want to know You. God, when distractions come, give us the grace to keep pressing into Your presence. God, help us not to neglect the room of prayer. For in that room are treasures, wisdom, insight, understanding, peace, deliverance, joy. The wisdom of the ages is in that room. That ancient wisdom God, we want to tap into your presence as a people of prayer. Jesus, you said your your house would be a house of prayer for all nations, all ethnic groups, all people. So pour out your glory, Lord, as we pray. Lord, we pray.